events in Burma this week have made me reflect on what I wrote on the Burmese military's authoritarian approach to the 2010 general election. I wrote then in the belief that those urging a policy of engagement with the Burmese military junta are often stunningly naive and never more so when faced with an upcoming Burmese general election, as they were in 2010. They overlooked the fact that the same military junta, which had arbitrarily renamed Burma as Myanmar, saw the election as a means to legitimise its despotic rule, but not to legitimise democracy. The generals were not interested in merely legitimising their despotic rule. They were primarily concerned to use the election to reassert and indefinitely sustain their tyranny. Their vision for Myanmar was eternal martial law. Those urging engagement were taking part in a fool's errand. For a start, the military hunter thought nothing of slapping UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon's diplomatic face. As it happens, Ban Ki-moon has developed into one of the better UN Secretary-Generals. He has one main quality for the job. He is tireless. A dreadful earthquake wrecks Haiti. Ban turns up almost as quickly as the US military to urge greater urgency behind the flows of desperately needed aid. A devastating earthquake devastates Chile. Ban Ki-moon is quickly there too with the same basic message. He has been at least once to every tough and trying trouble spot on the planet. In November 2009, he even managed to visit Burma, where he quietly urged reconciliation as a worthwhile policy for the Myanmar military hunter to follow. But, of course, the generals were not listening. Ban worried about the delayed preparations for the long-promised 2010 election, sent a letter to senior Myanmar general Tan Shui, expressing his concern about the lack of progress towards a democratic election and emphasising the importance of holding it this year in a most credible, inclusive and transparent manner. But Ban did not leave it at that, hoping the general get the message. He spelled it out. All political prisoners should be released as soon as possible so that they would take part in the election. That would make the elections inclusive and credible, Bunn wrote and said. I repeatedly emphasise that without the participation of Do Aung San Suu Kyi and all key political prisoners, the election would not be inclusive. We do not know what Ban Ki-moon's immediate reaction was when he learnt that, far from being inclusive, the hunter's election rules aimed at completely excluding Suu Kyi and effectively the National League for Democracy, the NLD, which she has led. But the indications are that at least Ban recognised that his face was being slapped as he immediately reissued his previous appeal. Quote, the Secretary-General of the United Nations reiterates his call for the Myanmar authorities to ensure an inclusive political process leading to fair, transparent and credible elections in which all citizens of Myanmar, including Do Aung San Suu Kyi, can freely participate, unquote. Officials of the Obama administration in Washington, D.C., while criticising what the junta had done, were at pains to also stress that the U.S. policy of engagement would still continue. 
But at least the then US Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia, Kurt Campbell, as he cautiously called the junta's moves disappointing and regrettable, had the same idea as the Secretary General of the UN. Speaking to the press in Malaysia, Campbell said that Su Chi should be released from house arrest so that she could play an active role in the political life of the country going forward. But both Barn and Campbell were in reality behind the power curve. The hunter had already decided that Su Chi would not have an active role in the political existence of a nation going backward. The Secretary-General and the Assistant Secretary and many others were still thinking that Aung San Suu Kyi was merely in political detention, as she had been for 15 of the last 21 years, and continually since the regime's thugs tried to assassinate her at De Payin in 2003. Political detention, especially when it takes the form of house arrest, can be quickly ended by a political decision. But the generals, having taken care to get Su Chi convicted for a crime, now saw her not merely as a detainee, but additionally as a convicted criminal serving an ongoing sentence. They were intent upon using that conviction and the election to eliminate her from any political role and also to eliminate the party she had led, the National Lead for Democracy. So on Monday, March the 8th, 2010, the Burmese military junta had belatedly announced that five laws covering all aspects of the forthcoming election had now been finalised and improved. Rather than revealing them altogether, they preferred to dribble them out one by one without immediately revealing the election's date, whether it will be on the 10th of the 10th, 2010, or some other astrological appropriate time. At first, two of these laws were released on successive days. One revealed that the junta itself would be appointing five, quote, distinguished and reputable, unquote, members of the election commission who would have the task of re-registering all political parties within the next 60 days before May the 8th. The second announcement concerned the political party's registration law. Crucially, it transpired that any convicted person serving a prison sentence could not be a member of a political party. Any political party containing a convicted person should automatically be deregistered. All political parties must accept and endorse the 2008 constitution, previously pushed through by the military and approved in a rig referendum. Consistently, ever since the 2010 election was first promised, the NLD had been asking for constitutional consultations with the government, a request that has been, of course, denied. The rules governing the military junta's election are diabolical in their deviousness. All political parties must be re-registered in the 60 days between March the 8th and May the 8th. Anyone convicted for a crime or a prisoner as a result of conviction cannot be a member of a political party. Buddhist priests, too, cannot be members of any political party. Any party with a member who is a prisoner or a priest will be deregistered if the prisoner is not expelled prior to re-registration. Thus, the National League for Democracy will have to first expel its leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, if it seeks to be re-registered under these regulations. 
It will also have to expel all those MPs elected in 1990 who have languished in jail ever since then. Two Burmese opposition publications outside Burma seem to assume that once a prisoner is released from prison, they will then be free to join a party and that therefore Aung San Suu Kyi could retain the NLD leadership in the unlikely event that she is released from her current detention. This could be wishful thinking. Whether or not the fine print of the regulations maintains that anyone who has been convicted or has been a prisoner is also disqualified from political party membership is not known, since the complete full text of the political party's registration law is only available on the internet in Burmese script. But Chapter 2, Article 4E of the Registration Law is ambiguous on this point, while leaving no doubt that Aung San Suu Kyi is the chief target. Quote, A person convicted by a court and currently serving a jail term, or the person in the process of a legal pursuit against the jail term, for a review of it at a court, are not eligible to found a political party. Unquote. Myanmar must be the only country in the world wherein a conviction is legally the equivalent of any appeal against it. In 2010, Suu Kyi was currently pursuing a legal appeal against her conviction for allowing a foreigner into her home without first getting official permission, an appeal already rejected by the Burmese Supreme Court, but not yet withdrawn by her lawyer. She was initially sentenced to three years' imprisonment with hard labour, which was reduced to 18 months' continued home detention. The 18 months ends in November, exactly one month after the expected date of the election. Suu Kyi's conviction was for allowing into her home an uninvited stranger, one John William Yetor, an itinerant American do-gooder, who was ostensibly concerned to warn her of the danger of assassination. Yetor's exploit is absolutely central to the junta's effort to remove Aung San Suu Kyi from Burmese politics. So much so, it raises again questions about Yetor. How was it that a man of modest means was twice able to go from Falcon, Missouri, all the way to Rangoon in both 2008 and 2009, to twice swim across Inia Lake to Suchi's home, evading military guards before being arrested after he left her house on the second occasion? Given the help Yetor has given to Myanmar's military tyrants, the least the US should have done is to more rigorously examine if Yetor financially benefited from his unusual exploits and if he was, in fact, enticed to visit Burma by the military junta. Meanwhile, it was important to remember that Aung San Suu Kyi was not the only prisoner whose fate could affect the upcoming election. There were an estimated 2,100 political prisoners in Burma, and that was probably a highly conservative estimate, of whom at least 400 are members of the NLD. More than a few of them were elected as MPs in the 1990 election. None of the 2,100 prisoners can be allowed to join a political party, but only the military knows precisely who is detained and what their political allegiances may be. The political prisoners, in other words, could easily become an additional government weapon for disrupting those democratic forces which still manage to exist within Burma.
but the most obvious anguish lies within the already decimated ranks of the NLD. Essentially, there is nothing it can do now. If it meekly expels Aung San Suu Kyi and all its other members who languish as political prisoners, it will lose its own self-respect and is extremely unlikely to gain anything from taking part in what has already become a blatant travesty of the democratic election process. If it refuses to expel any members, then it will not be re-registered as a political party. Just about the only thing it can do is to produce a fervent and eloquent statement reminding the free world of the ways in which freedom is now being annihilated within Burma by the Myanmar dictatorship and calling upon the Association of Southeast Asian Nations to expel Myanmar. ASEAN's great mistake with Burma was its failure to insist that Burma first implement the results of the free and fair 1990 general election before becoming a member. Now, if ASEAN continues to muddle along with martial law Myanmar after this forthcoming mockery of a free election, then they will merely condemn the regional organisation to complete and utter irrelevance in the international arena. The 1990 election resulted in the National League for Democracy winning 392 out of 485 seats. At the time, the Myanmar military promised to honour that result, but they never did. With savage irony, after the new election laws were announced, the military junta finally got around to formally annulling the 1990 election result because, it said, the 1990 election was not conducted according to the 2010 rules. The only good news this week was that the United Nations was being urged by a UN special envoy for human rights in Burma, Thomas Quintana, to investigate possible crimes against humanity committed by the Myanmar regime. When one considers all the hopes and yearnings of the Burmese people, which were reflected in that 1990 election result, and which were then cruelly frustrated and denied, there was a crime against humanity right there.